Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is December 9th, 2021, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Today is Holy Wasty Day, and I'm joined by three experts in the commodity space. Kevin Combs, Vice President of McKinney Flavelle. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Michael. Hello, everybody. Uh, Nicole Thomas, Vice President of McKinney Flavelle Information Sales and Services. Hello, Nicole. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. And finally, Eric Thornton, Commodity Specialist for McKinney Flavelle. Hello, Eric. Hello, Mike. Hey, everybody. So today was the WASTI, and um, I felt like, well, um, am I awake? Is, are things sleepy? Did the USDA give folks a little bit of breathing room to, I think they did. to figure out some other things? Um, who wants to start today about uh, what the WASDI entailed? I can go first because I can go quick. All right. Okay, go. You know, I have a reputation for being long-winded, but I can knock <laughs> this out really quick today. What are we going to do with the rest of the time, Nicole? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. What do you got? To make it short and sweet, corn, no changes. Ooh. On the domestic sheet anyway. Okay. So we're still sitting at 1.493 billion bushels. The market was expecting a little bit of a decline uh, based on greater usage in the ethanol category. Maybe a little premature for that. And uh, accordingly, USDA said, we'll hold tight and see how things uh, pan out. Also worth mentioning in that space, uh, EPA coming out with their thoughts on on those blending requirements and made a few adjustments, mostly uh, retroactively. So took that 2020 blend requirement down to 12.5 billion gallons, 2021 to 13.3, and 2022 at our RFS maximum of 15 billion gallons. Mm. And the market's like, eh, okay, that year's passed. We've already done that, you know, so mm, not not that big of a deal. And there was some speculation that there might be some adjustments to exports. You know, if you look at what we have in sales at this point, we're at about 58% of the current uh, USDA projection, really waiting on China. And thus far, China said, you know what, we'll get our corn from Ukraine. So mm. take that. Uh, and we have so much of a window of opportunity before <laughs> Brazil that. comes in and says, we gotcha. So as long as the weather uh, cooperates there, and of course, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on things in the next, next few weeks to see how that goes. But uh, certainly something to watch for future reports. Uh, then on the global side, they made some subtle changes. Took up beginning stocks for 21-22, again, this time by about 1 million tons to 292.69 million metric tons. Uh, Saw a bit of a boost in supply in the form of a 2 million metric ton increase to Ukrainian production. That's pegged at 40 million tons now. Uh, They left uh, Argentina and Brazil's uh, projections unchanged at 54.5 and and 118 million tons, respectively. Lowered Chinese production a bit, but overall, with the combination of everything globally, total production was increased by 4 million tons to a little over 1.2 billion metric tons. And then as far as global demand, they took that up by 3.1 million tons as well. Uh, and exports by 1 million tons. So pretty much an offset. But all in all, ending stocks with that boost in beginning stocks took us 
up a, a million tons to 305 and a half roughly. And that was about a million tons higher than the average trade guess. So that puts our stocks to use at 21.8% versus a 22.3% in 2021. So actually it looks like this year will be tightening. Nicole, thoughts on the trade agreement with China? And, you know, we, we reached this phase one deal and they're going to buy all these agricultural products. <laughs> and a year ago, we were seeing it. We're seeing record purchases and everything. And, and, and now this year. So, you know, there was this little piece of commentary that everyone seemed to overlook during uh, the negotiation of, of that original trade agreement where China said, we will buy based on market conditions. Mm. <laughs> kind of important. So prices go up. We may not be all that enthused about it. Or as was the case uh, for the last crop year, we really need this corn and your prices are uh, a lot lower than ours are domestically. So we'll take it. So we'll see, you know, what comes out of the, some of these more recent conversations uh, between their premier and our president. And um, I don't know, we'll see what we get. But I think at the end of the day, Again, it's really going to come down to prices and need, first and foremost. And if I had to bank on anything, that's that's the direction I would lean towards for what to expect in the future. Oh, and we probably shouldn't report every time they make a purchase because apparently that's frowned upon. And, you know, we get more competition from some of these other countries like Ukraine having their rebound in production this year. We get back to normal, which is closer to 2.1, 2.2 billion bushels of, of uh, export demand. And most of that going to our normal trade partners of Japan, Korea, and Mexico. So that's where we stand on corn. And the futures market also reiterated that yawn with, you know, a penny here and there, <laughs> one way or the other. They didn't really care. And then in the world of soy, also uh, on the domestic balance sheet, no changes. Uh, we saw that stand at about 340 million bushels of ending stocks for the U.S. The more noteworthy change actually came in the form of oil yield. Mm. So USDA increased that, didn't change crush, but increased oil yield to 11.75 pounds per bushel. That, ladies and gentlemen, is on the strong side <laughs> of things historically. And thus far, the NOPA reports are pretty pretty much indicating that these yields are coming in stronger. So in that sense, you know, some good news uh, for oil users and hopefully a little bit of cushion at least created for what is expected to be pretty strong food demand this year, along with potentially demand out of the, the biofuel segment. And speaking of that food uh, use, they, they did uh, rev that up a little bit, 150 million pounds of additional usage in that category. So all in all, the net impact on ending stocks for soybean oil was about 4 million pounds. So didn't uh, do too much with more or less of an offset there. And of course, things to watch down the road, uh, what we get in terms of this renewable diesel demand that is uh, expected to grow tremendously this year, as well as sort of that offset uh, via food usage uh, against pretty low supplies of canola oil uh, coming out of, out of Canada this year. So other than that, Global ending stocks now estimated at 102 million tons, down uh, almost 2 million tons from the November report. And they didn't change production in any of the bigger regions like the U.S., Brazil, or Argentina. But some of the 
other producers are expecting some smaller crops. So a uh, great example, China, um, 16.4 million tons, and that's down from 19 million tons last month. So that provide a little support to the soybean market. And that aforementioned comment about uh, soybean oil production helped to put some additional pressure on soybean oil futures. So bit of a mixed bag for the soy complex. I like that soybean oil price that the USDA puts up, you know, 65 cent average price. So we're, we're seeing a major sale right now. Yeah, we are. Take heed. This is the Black Friday version <laughs> of soybean oil markets. Yeah, it never hurts to hedge yourself and have some what I call I call it the oh crap hedge when you yeah. you get something come along you don't expect. It's good to have a little bit of uh, a positive on on your uh, balance sheet there before yeah. you take some of those higher prices. So, but I still think soybean oil is kind of like you know some of that expensive jewelry that goes on sale and it's fifty percent off, <laughs> but the price went up two hundred percent before they took the fifty percent off. Exactly. So, any of our listeners that remember, you know, around uh, the beginning of COVID. When you could buy those soybean oil futures for 27, 28 cents a pound is saying, what discount? Yeah, exactly. 54? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I got. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, shift over to Eric. Uh, What do you got on wheat? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, Wheat, we saw a couple slightly bearish updates in the U.S. balance sheet as well globally. So some, some positive news that helped push Pricing down across all three wheat contracts, uh, you know, not not significantly, but somewhere around ten to eighteen cents a bushel. But starting with the U.S., no changes to production that that remains uh, at one point six five billion bushels collectively across all wheat classes, and there was a slight reduction five million bushels to imports, and on the uh, demand side. The, the largest change was once again to the export category for wheat. So we saw exports fall by 20 million bushels down to now 840 million bushels. So that's actually uh, 35 million bushels lost in exports uh, over the last two months. So fairly sizable adjustments there in the last two reports. And definitely, you know, could, could justify that as we continue to see U.S. export sales for this current crop year of 21-22 lag behind last year by some uh, 20 to 22%. And we had exported 992 million bushels last year. So we're continuing to see those adjustments as we continue to see disappointing sales. So all in all, ending stocks rose by 15 million bushels to now 598 million bushels. And that actually is now pushed us up just above the 2013-14 crop year, at which was uh, 590 million bushels. So we were looking at ending stocks that were as low as the 07-08 crop when we were at 583 million as the November update. Now we're, we're you know, pushed up a little bit, just shy of 600 million bushels. So a little bit improved, not greatly. You know, We'll continue to kind of monitor that export category for the, these couple months here in dormancy, but you know, slightly bearish and it's slightly more than anticipated, at least from a reduction standpoint to the to exports. And globally, about as expected as well. Leading into the report, we we anticipated some potential production revisions upward, most notably to Australia, as they continue to see benefits from this La Nina weather pattern with 
uh, plentiful rains, albeit sometimes uh, too, too much rain, which has caused a little bit of quality concerns, but nonetheless, a very sizable crop. So we saw them go from 31.5 million metric tons to now a record 34 million metric ton crop. So uh, plenty of, of uh, wheat in Australia, but again, with some quality concerns and lower grade wheat, a decent portion of that's going to go likely to wheat for feed, but nonetheless, a decent revision there and good crop. We did see also a modest uh, increase to Ukraine by another million metric tons to now 75 and a half million metric tons and just a, a small little revision upwards to Canada rising from 21 to now 21.65 million metric tons. So uh, all in all, did see a slight bump in domestic feed demand by one and a half million metric tons. Ending stocks then rose by uh, just under three million metric tons. So, you know, not sizable, but at least in a better direction versus the seemingly the last 10 months when we uh, have seen that ending stocks category just continue to trickle down from, you know, the better part of April when we were projecting 320 million metric tons to 275 as of last month. So seeing a little bit of a bounce here and that seems to be adding a little bit of a bearishness to the market, but really fundamentally uh, still tight, still a lot of uncertainty and risk and where we are currently with, again, the dry conditions in the U.S. Southern Plains with La Nina fully entrenched and still that forecast of dry and warm temperatures throughout the dormancy period. So these elevated prices are, are likely here to stay, uh, you know, regardless of what the changes were today. Great. Great recap, Eric. Let's uh, shift over to Kevin and uh, talk to us about sugar. All right. Well, we got about three things to talk about with sugar today with the various changes that were made by the USDA. The first one came in the 2021 estimates where they increased consumption 26,000 tons. And uh, due to some uh, corrections and adjustments, one cane refiner lowered their stocks, which led the USDA to look at the numbers in the SMD report and say, oh, okay, well, that means that that sugar must have gone direct to consumers instead of going through a cane refiner. Therefore, let's raise our food use 26,000 tons. And when they did that, of course, they end up lowering uh, ending stocks 26,000 tons as there are no other changes. So when we look at the 21-22, right off the bat, we're 26,000 tons lower. And then the second big change was on the production front. And they made uh, some adjustments for both beet sugar and cane sugar. Beet was relatively minor. It was only 20,000 ton uh, decrease. Looking at it, it was a couple different offsets on their numbers that led them to lower it. Acreage harvested versus yield kind of were offsetting there. But uh, the next month, they'll be taking into account more sugar recovery numbers and whatnot as they get a little further into the processing and are able to use something besides averages. So we'll, we'll see some future revisions on beet sugar. And then on cane sugar, Louisiana, I think, you know, it's just an overall reflection of some of the difficulties they had this crop year, but uh, they took production down 72,000 tons and cited that all due to sugarcane yields being off in uh, Louisiana. So kind of a smaller crop getting a little bit smaller in Louisiana. 
And last was on the import side, which is really the confusing uh, section in the WASD changes because sugar's got to be one of the only commodities where you can give out a 150,000 ton quota. And then uh, when the numbers all get reflected in WASD, you end up seeing the uh, Mexico quota actually being lower. And that's a result of the amended suspension agreements, of course. So the USDA being December is one of the months where they reset the supply demand, bring us back to 13.5%. And that, you know, December, 80% of the quota is guaranteed. But in September, 70% was guaranteed. Take that September number plus 150,000 tons plus about 12,000 tons of 2021 quota that got brought in. And you end up at roughly 1.065 million tons somehow. So... It got very confusing in that respect. And then one other adjustment on imports they made was they actually increased the high-tier imports. As we've seen uh, a lot of imports coming in, I think the USDA, as of December 3rd, reported uh, 70, over 77,000 tons of high-tier imports have come in. So another benefit of the sugar program here this year is, and really last year, but the government is making money off of the sugar program with all these high-tier imports. Yes. Jeez, nice little factoid. So anyway, looking again at the imports here, the, you know, the final numbers were pretty much unchanged. It's really just a matter of where that sugar is coming from. And I think this really reflected in the 16 markets and why, uh, despite the quota announcement and everything else, you know, we knew some of this was going to happen. I, I thought the stocks to use would be a little bit above 13.6%. I thought we we're going to be around 14%. Obviously, that lower production numbers uh, curtailed that. So anyway. We're sitting there right back where we were, just over 37 cents on the nearby contract. Got it. So before we let everybody go, I uh, want to remind you of our webinar uh, next week, December 15th, our Hot Ingredients webinar. It's our second part of that series. Uh, and we'll be talking about honey, oats, oat milk, and nut meats. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can register at our website at mikini-flavel.com. And again, that's December 15th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So we'll look forward to uh, everybody joining us there. And as I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute, moment with your friends and family. You dare take it for granted. And until next time, take care, everybody. See everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye now. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit McKinney-Favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.